How's everybody doing today? Anyway, I'm Gary. I would like to welcome everybody out here to Greater Alton Church. If you don't know me or your first time here, I want to let you know we're happy to have you. We're excited to have you. Anyway, we are excited about the series we're talking about right now. Tim has started a series on meeting Jesus. And what we're looking at, we've been looking at, we've been taking the whole year to look at Jesus and the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And specifically what we've been looking over the last several weeks is passages in the Gospels where Jesus met an individual. And a person had a, a personal, individual encounter with Jesus. It may have been in a group, but their encounter was singled out and there were details of it that were given. And we want to look very closely at those. Now, when Tim first came up with this, uh, Tim, normally, the way this has worked for the last several years as I've helped Tim up here with his responsibility of speaking to you all on Sunday mornings, which is normally called preaching, then I don't like to call it that. Um, He tells me what to talk about. He gives me the topic. He gives me the passage. And he's been changing that up a little bit. And so when he started this series, he asked Alan and I, who do you want to talk about? And so I started looking through the Gospels and looking at people who encountered Jesus. And I texted Tim one day and I said, well, I would, do I have to talk about an individual or can I talk about a group of people? You know, because that's what, as I was praying about and I was reading through it, that's what I kept noticing. Like the Pharisees. I mean, they're all over the place, aren't they? And Jesus had all kinds of encounters with the Pharisees. And I thought, let's talk about them. Or, he says, well, what do you have in mind? I said, well, what about the people from Jesus' hometown? I mean, there's a passage where Jesus went to his hometown, and he spoke in the synagogue, or he read the scripture in the synagogue, and said, this is fulfilled in your presence. And long story short, the people got mad, drove him off to a cliff, and tried to kill him. Or were ready to kill him. And I thought, let's talk about them. I think there's something we can learn from these people. Tim says, no, let's keep with an individual. Okay, we did that. So somewhere along the line, I'm very busy these days, and I don't remember what happened, but there was a schedule come out, and I I don't know if I selected the person I'm supposed to talk about today, which is Simon the Pharisee. We find that in Luke chapter 7, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. And I looked at that, and again, I don't know if he told me if I he thought I wanted I don't know. I've been too busy. But it's okay. I figure God wants me to talk about Simon the Pharisee and when Jesus encounter, his encounter with Jesus. And so I look at it. But now if you look in your Bibles at Luke chapter 7, what you're going to notice is there's a heading above it. And it has nothing to do with Simon the Pharisee. You know what it says? Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. That's what that story is typically about. Now the story takes place at Simon the Pharisee's house. But, and when you look at this story, you can't talk about it without talking about two people, not just one. So I feel like I'm kind of sneaking this in on Tim today. You know, he said to talk about one individual, and well, there's two in the story. So, guys, let's read the passage, and then let's talk about what we can learn from this. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. 
Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Guys, when you look at this story, and I joked about it, I'm getting to talk about two people, but it really is a contrast between two individuals who had had an encounter with Jesus at the same time and had radically different responses to him. You look at it, guys, you got Simon who we commonly call Simon the Pharisee. We only know that because Jesus addressed him by name. Other than that, he's just some Pharisee who was a religious leader of the day who invited Jesus to dinner. And then when Jesus speaks to him, he says, Simon, i got something to say to you. So we call him Simon the Pharisee. The other one is just the woman. I like to call her the party crasher. I find it very interesting. Alan, I need you to research this sometime. Or maybe you know the answer, but you don't give it to me now. But I notice in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels in particular, that on a number of occasions, something's going on at somebody's house, and it's usually Jesus involved, and somebody just shows up and crashes the party. You know, I mean, this woman just shows up inside the house. I don't know if it has to do with, you know, it being, a, a, you know, the houses of that day, and that, you know, it's a much warmer, more arid arid climate you know there's no there's no mini blinds there's no drapes you know and the houses are more open for airflow and you can see what's going on and you just feel welcome to come in i don't know if it's a custom they just oh yeah we're having people over come on in i i don't know but there's this constant flow of people just showing up barging in like this so i call her the party crasher and and what's what's really strange to me about it is nobody does anything about her I mean, nobody politely ushers her out. Nobody is assigned to keep her under control. 
She's allowed to go about doing what she's doing, crying nonstop, kissing Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her tears and drying him with her hair, and anointing his feet with rare perfume. Why? Why does this happen? I don't know. But guys, this story is a contrast between these two people. And we want to take a look at this. And guys, I just want to, I just want to say something as we begin this. This is, this is Gary's opinion. Okay, this isn't gospel. God hasn't spoken to me on this. This is my observation and dare I say a judgment. But when you look at these two individuals, you look at the, if, you, if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, the Pharisees are the religious people of the day, and they're, they're very prominent in the story of Jesus. They're always around. They are the original stalkers, if you will. I mean, wherever Jesus shows up, they're there. And we're going to look at it in a little bit about what their reputation is. But guys, they are there. And one of the things they are known for in particular, is they're very big on following rules. And very specifically, rules that they've made up. Okay, and what I mean by that is, they're not rules that were given to them by God. And in some situations, Jesus confronts this directly in Matthew chapter 15, if you want to go look at it on your own, they've made up rules that they think are righteous, and I believe their motives were pure. They want people to follow God. They want people to honor God. And they've come up with these rules that they think help people do that. And some of these rules are completely opposite to what God has to say. And guys, I, I bring this all up and I stress this because it is my opinion that organized Christianity tends towards rules. It's from good people. I've been guilty. I have the tendency. How can we keep these particular single people from being involved in sexual immorality? Well, let's come up with some rules. Let's tell them you should never be alone with anybody of the opposite sex. Okay? You only double date. And they come up with rules like this. Good intention. But God never gave us the authority or the, or, or the desire to implement those rules. God wants person to follow Him, not because of rules, but because of their heart. And guys, I, I want to emphasize this because as we look at this, and we're going to be looking primarily at Simon, we are going to be talking about the contrast with the, with the sinful woman. But most of us in this room, we're going to tend to have a bit of Pharisee in us. How much, I can't say. Okay? And I'm, not, I, I, I'm guilty. And so guys, I want to mention that as we get going here. And what we want to do is we want to look at just four things, what I can learn from Simon's dinner with Jesus. The first thing is, I have to initiate time with Jesus. Okay? Jesus didn't go knocking on Simon's door. Jesus didn't motion the sinful woman in. Simon invited Jesus, and the woman literally forced herself on, on him. And guys, I have to initiate time with Jesus. This is what it says. It says one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, it, it just blows my mind, and we're going to get into in a little bit what kind of man we really think Simon was, because it gives us a very limited amount of, of evidence about him. Um, 
But just the fact that he's a Pharisee tells us he was an opponent of Jesus. Particularly, the Pharisees were instrumental in Jesus being crucified. Okay? And he's invited by his enemy to go eat. And what does he do? He shows up. And you need to know that. I don't care who you are, whether you look at yourself as more the Pharisee or the sinful woman whose sins are many and you're aware of them. When you initiate time with Jesus, you know what happens? He shows up. Okay, so I want you to know that as I say, as I tell you, you've got to initiate, you want, to get, be, you want, you want some time with Jesus, you have to initiate it. And He will show up. But guys, you need to understand it is a personal thing. I have been working and continue to work with the middle schoolers uh, here, here at Greater Alton on Sunday afternoons. There are going to be some other fathers that are going to be helping me with that and kind of taking that over here in the next several weeks. But uh, I was telling them a story about something that's happened in my house. A lot of you have been to my house, correct? Now, you would say I live in the country, right? You wouldn't say I live in the, in the woods, no, right? I don't live in the boonies. Okay? It, it's, it's five minutes from town. We live on three acres. There's 55 acres of, of subdivision there, which people keep cut. Uh, we have a couple, you know, people have dogs. No one neighbor has horses. But we're not in the woods. It's more like a park or a golf course. It really is. But we're more in the wild than most of you folks are. Uh, we've had raccoons in the house eating cat food before. <laughs> Happens. This summer, I was up on the roof cleaning out the, cleaning the leaves off the roof in the gutters, and there was a five-foot king snake or black snake, whatever, in my gutter. I've got pictures. I left him alone. <laughs> we believe he got into the gutter. Now, it's a two-story house. Okay, he's on a pie. We believe he had just came out of the attic. To sun himself inside the gutter. Now, what was, he, what was he doing in the attic? Well, he was probably eating mice. I've killed five mice in the last week with traps. We've got a new kitten who hasn't matured enough to help me with this task. <laughs> about three weeks ago, I was cleaning out the garage, and I came face-to-face, about three-foot distance, with a possum that had a nest in the corner of my garage. I mean, we wake up, I love waking up, sleeping with the windows open in the summer if it's warm enough, and you wake up in the middle of the night to a pack of what I'm going to say, teenage coyote pups, howling as a pack. You know, they got that little puppy voice, but they're, ow, 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 it's, it's, I love it. You know, I've been woke up in the middle of the night by an owl, literally 20 feet from my window. Okay, But I was, I was sharing with the middle schoolers last week, there's something that I discovered that for 17, I've lived in the house for 17 years now, and I never knew existed. You know, that has to do with being in the wild. And that is wolf spiders. Are you familiar with wolf spiders? You know, occasionally one of them shows up in the house, no big deal. But about a month ago, I'm outside at night, and I've got a very nice headlamp that my son Jonathan got me for Christmas. Very powerful headlamp. And I'm walking, through the, I'm walking in my yard, and I notice what I assume are lightning bugs in the grass. You know, this kind of bluish, yellowish, greenish light. And they're going on and off. Lightning bugs, right? After 
three or four days, maybe a week, I decide, I don't want to see what those are. And so I walk up to one with that headlamp on it, and it's a wolf spider. And I'm like, what the heck? And so I go check out another one. And you know what it is? It's another wolf spider. And the next thought hits me. You know what it is? They're everywhere. And I mean, anybody I've shown this to, and I've shown a lot of people because it's really cool. After they see it, they're like, oh my goodness. Now, last week with the middle schoolers, I was telling them, I really wanted them to take a field trip out to my house. I, I got to show the high schoolers during cross chat. We actually sat around the campfire. And I was telling them about it. And I said, how many of you believe that I can find a wolf spider in this yard within 10 seconds? How many of you believe that there's hundreds of them in this yard? And one girl sitting there who's afraid of spiders lifts her feet up off their chair. <laughs> it was fun. And so then I go... I, uh, I, I say, okay, here we go. I'm going to find one. And I walk over. I go, there it is right there. And they're like, that's not real. Make it move. And I make it move. And they go, you knew that was there. I said, okay, point in a direction. And so they point in a different direction. And I walk over. Literally within 10 seconds, there's one right there. I mean, 50 feet away. Okay, over there, over there, over there. And then I show them how this works. It was really cool with the middle schoolers. I, I didn't get to show them. I just had to tell them about it. And I asked them questions. I said, who all's been to my house? Who's been to my house at night, barefooted in the yard? And then I issued three statements. I said, and I want you to know, after each statement, I want you to tell me if you think I'm telling the truth, if you believe me or not, and why or why not. And the first one is, if we're in my yard I, at night, I can find a wolf spider within 10 seconds. And Olivia Tankersley speaks up and she goes, I believe you, Gary, because I don't think you would lie to me. <laughs> Drew Law, on the other hand, the skeptic of the group, says, no, I don't believe you. Because if you could find one within 10 seconds, that means there's hundreds or thousands of them in the yard. I'm going to get there. Just wait. And then the next question is, there's hundreds of wolf spiders in my yards. And oh, oh, Drew, he's a thinker. He says, this is very subjective. <laughs> he says, if one's true, the other's true. If one's false, the other's false. I'm not sure if he used that word subjective right. But I'm not sure I could prove him wrong. So <laughs> These are middle schoolers. And, he's, and we went through it. And then, you know, I said, I, I've lived 17 years in this house and never known a thing about him. And, and it was funny because Drew goes, no, that can't be true. It's true. And what's crazy is I noticed him for a week before I went after him. And I got to talk with the middle schoolers. What's this got to do about God? And they very quickly made the analogy that, hey, this is about, you've you got to seek God. You don't just find him on your own. And you've got to have the right tools, the way you had to have the headlamp, and you had to do it at the right time. And, and they talked about, Drew, Drew again, speaking up, says, you know, it's got to be, he goes, it's about going to church, and it's about having the Bible, and it's about having other people in your life, and it's about coming to group. And I said, those are all true, but you need to understand something. You can do all those things, but if you don't personally decide you want to seek God, guess what? You won't find Him. You won't find him. See, that's what it says in Acts 17, guys. It says that God put people in specific places at specific times so that they would perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. And I was telling them, guys, 
You're not going to find God just by being a part of this group. You're not going to find God just by coming to church. Those things are good. Those things will help. But unless you take the initiative to seek God yourself, it ain't going to happen. And guys, I just want to tell you, when you look here at Simon, you're going to have to initiate time with Jesus. You have to initiate it yourself, and He will show up. Look at this verse in James chapter 4. James 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God. And God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the Lord. If you're older, you've probably heard this old story, you know, about the husband and wife driving down the road and, you know, the romances and what it used to be. And the wife says to the husband, you know, when, when we were just dating and just married, you know, you had me sit right next to you in the middle of the seat, back when you had bench seats. Okay, you can't do that anymore. You had me sit right next to you, and now I sit way over here. The husband thought for a minute, and he said, well, I didn't move. You know? And guys, that's the way it is with God. You know, that's the point of that. It's just a story. I don't know if that actually happened with somebody or not, but guys, that's the way it is with God. If you're not close to God, what's the problem? God hasn't moved. If you want to be close to God, you want to be close to Jesus, you have to take the initiative to do that yourself. You have to do that. He'll provide opportunities, but you're going to have to take advantage of it. Like the sinful woman, she didn't set this meeting up. But when she heard Jesus was close, what would she do? She crashed the party. Simon, on the other hand, set it up. Guys, my question is, when you look at this, what are you doing to initiate contact with Jesus, closeness to Jesus? What are you doing? Second thing, guys, we want to learn from this is that I will be exposed when I spend time with Jesus. Did you notice this in when verse 40 when I read it? It says, you know, Simon thought to himself about this woman. He thought, surely Jesus isn't a prophet, because a prophet would know this woman's a sinner, and he wouldn't touch her. And I love this. Verse 40, this is what it says. It says, Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Okay? Simon just thought, had the thought that Jesus isn't a prophet, because he shouldn't, wouldn't be touching this woman if he knew she was a sinner. Jesus addressed his thoughts. He exposed what he was thinking. And guys, I want to let you know, that's what happens when you get close to Jesus. I had a, I'm not very good or creative at giving these lessons up here titles. I'm not. Okay, you had a very good one last week, right? Y- yes. He did. Go look at it on the internet. I don't remember what it was. It was very creative. It was very creative. Tim is wonderful at it. Very creative. I'm not so much. I emailed my notes to Tom Tarantino yesterday. He text messages me later and he says, I'm going to paraphrase. Seriously? My original title was, 
Flashing Jesus. <laughs> Exposed at dinner. Tom thought better and I submitted to his wisdom. <laughs> you know? I was talking to Tom this morning and he was he was saying he was he was just commenting and I said, "Look, I know I fall, when it's questionable, I fall on the wrong side. I know that." <laughs> I don't trust my judgment. I, I hum, humbly submit to somebody else's wisdom on that more than myself. But guys, the truth of the matter is, that is what happens. You know, you, you're familiar with the story. The king's new clothes, the story of the king's new clothes. Where the king wants these fabulous new clothes and his tailor is, is entrusted to come up with these beautiful, new, elegant, whatever, stylish clothes that blow everybody away. And he comes up with nothing, so he basically sends the king out in either his underwear or naked, depending on the, how you, which version of the story you read. And, you know, nobody's afraid. Everybody's afraid to tell the king he's really naked, you know, or in his underwear. And so they're all, ooh, oh, oh, yeah, beautiful, nice, we're going to get my set. And then so, you know, some little kid finally says, he's naked! You know, that's the story of the emperor's new clothes or the king's new clothes. Guys, the truth of the matter is, this story is kind of the opposite of that. You see, when it comes to standing before Jesus, we are all essentially naked. Our sinfulness is shameful. It's, 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 it's the same as nakedness. The only problem is, we don't recognize our nakedness sometimes. You see, guys, and that's what's going on with Simon here. Simon thinks he's elegantly dressed in front of the king. Thinks he has it going on. Sees himself as the religious elite. He's judging the sinful woman looking down on her. He's judging Jesus based off his rules. But when you get in front of the king, the king's going to expose you for what you really are. He's going to show you your nakedness. And guys, that's what's happened here. That's what's going on. See, guys, here's the truth. Here's a a passage of Scripture that most of you are familiar with in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. You see guys, when you spend time with Jesus, when you look at His words, when you look at the Word of God, it exposes where you're really at spiritually. Do you know that? That is what it does. And I want to let you know, it doesn't really matter what your motive is. You know, I mentioned earlier about Simon. Okay? Simon the Pharisee. Now let's just see a quick, quick, a quick show of hands. 
How many of you think that there's a chance Simon was a good guy? Really sincere about seeking God. Okay? How many of you think he was a bad guy? A true Pharisee? Nobody? You? You're alone, man. Cubs fan? You're just, you're just always in that position. The truth is, guys, and I think this is very significant, we don't know what kind of a man Simon was. We don't know. He may have been... Let's look, let's look at some passages real quick that just show you what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were like of that day. The majority of these are found in Matthew 22. Uh, they can also be found in Mark chapter 12. Uh, the same stories are, are, are told there. One of them is in John. But in Matthew 22, this is what it says. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. In verse 18 of 22, it says, But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Verse 23, it says, That same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Now what's interesting about that is the question was about the resurrection, which they say isn't going to happen. They're trying to trap Jesus. In verses 34 and 35, it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Yeah. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. What kind of intent do you see from these Pharisees? Not good. One last one. John chapter 8 and verse 6. It says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You see, guys, now when you talk about Simon, and all that we really know about him is that he was a Pharisee and he had Jesus over for dinner. Now, I believe in looking at all the evidence, but I believe in not going beyond and making a judgment about what's not said. When you look at Simon, he could fall into one of about three categories. One is, he was a Pharisee, just like we just read about, who was interested in trapping Jesus... And um, that's, what he was, that's what he was after. That was his intent in inviting Jesus over for dinner. You know? And when he saw the sinful woman touching Jesus and Jesus not stopping her, he thought, Ha ha! I got him! And he was just being a Pharisee. Bad guy. Enemy of Jesus. I don't know if that's entirely true. It could be that he was merely curious. Like Nicodemus, he wanted to get to know Jesus more. He wanted to get a little closer look than the other group. We assume there's other Pharisees around. Maybe there weren't. Maybe he was wanting to get more of a one-on-one encounter and he was curious. Maybe he was a lot like Nicodemus that we looked at last week and he was a good guy. Well, if he was a good guy, why did he have those thoughts? Bad thoughts are hard to change. You know that? Uh, Some of you know, how many of you in here know Joe McKenzie? You know Joe? How many of you knew Joe before he was Joe? He was Joey, right? Yeah, (laughs) thank you. When I was asking him this morning, he thinks it was about 14, he's 18 now. He thinks it was about age 14 he decided, I don't want to be Joey anymore. 
His voice had gotten deep. I'm Joe. (laughs) Now, personally, I can tell you it took me approximately two years to quit calling him Joey. Still say it. Yeah, Andy said the same thing. I still call him Joey. Some of you know him. He's still Joey McKenzie. No, Joe's an 18-year-old man now with a job. Sometimes things like that, they don't just disappear just because you recognize it wrong, just because you change your mind. I'm sure a lot of us in the room go, oh, I need to start calling him Joe now. And for the next six months or a year or two years, you called him Joey. Maybe that's what's going on here with Simon. Maybe Simon is starting to see Jesus for what he truly is. And he's trying to get him closer. But his old thought processes, he hasn't unwired them yet. He hasn't changed his programming, if you will. He hasn't updated to the latest version of OS. <laughs> He's stuck. I, I don't know where Simon was at exactly. We can speculate and we can have great theological debate on where he is and where he was. And I just want to tell you, it doesn't matter where he was at. Because the result is the same. No matter how you come before Jesus, with good motive or bad, when you get in His presence, He's going to show you where you're at. And guys, that's what you can learn from this. You want to know where you're at? You need to get close to Jesus. You see guys, not only is He going to expose you, the third thing we want to learn from this, is that Jesus will expose my biggest need. Okay? Notice he doesn't get into a theological debate with Simon over the rule that he was using to judge Jesus by. You know, that the fact that a sinful woman was touching him. See, that's what the Pharisees, that was one of their rules that they came up with, is that if you get touched by a sinner, you are unclean, and you must do a ceremonial cleansing to remove the sin from from the uncleanness from you. The only problem with that is if you look at Isaiah 65.5, it says don't do that. But they came up, and I don't know all the theory behind it, but I just want to point out, that's not what Jesus addresses. Jesus does not address the fact that, hey, you got some jacked up rules, Simon. Hey, you got you shouldn't even have rules, Simon. Instead, Jesus goes to the heart of the matter, and what does he address? What is Simon's biggest need? He doesn't love God. That's his biggest need. That's why Jesus told the story about the two debtors being forgiven. One 500 pieces of silver, the other 50 pieces of silver. And he asked Simon, both debts were forgiven. Who do you think loved him more? Well, I suppose the one whose bigger debt was forgiven. That's right, Simon. Now let's look at you and this woman. This woman did all these things for me. You didn't wash the dust off my feet. She used her tears and her hair to clean my feet. You didn't greet me with a customary kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since she got here. You didn't give me the courtesy olive oil to anoint my head with. She used expensive perfume. She loves much. Therefore, her sins are forgiven. And guys, what he's saying is, Simon, your biggest need, all the religious stuff you do ain't worth squat if you don't love God. 
That's what he's telling him. Guys, if you look at God and you, you, you've tried to have a relationship with God and you constantly feel guilty and you constantly feel like you can't measure up, number one is you can't do enough good things, okay? That's number one. But God is more interested in you loving him than he is how many boxes you got checked off than he is in your performance. Now, the interesting thing about that is, what happens? The more you love, what happens? The more boxes you check off, the better you perform. See, we get it backwards. We think if we do enough good stuff, then we love God. No. You've got to choose to love God, and as that love grows, guess what? You do what he wants. You do what he wants. You want to know what God's rule is? Love me. That's it. Guys, he addressed Simon's biggest need. Do you know he addressed the woman's biggest need also? Forgiveness. Both of them. Now, now it's interesting. She got her biggest need met. Okay? She was a sinner. She knew it. She was ashamed. She was embarrassed. She was humbled. And Jesus met her biggest need by forgiving her her sins. Simon just had his biggest need exposed because of where he was at. Guys, and what you see, I believe what you see here is exactly what's talked about. If you look back up in your notes at James chapter 4, we looked at this earlier. You know, the second sentence says, come close to God and God will come close to you. And that's what I focused in on when we read this verse. Okay, that's typically what I know a lot of people focus in on when they read this verse. It is accurate. It is true. You want to draw. You want God to be close to you. You need to draw close to Him. But there's a, a very important ingredient, if you will, a very important attitude of the heart that you need to have if you're going to really be close to God. And it's in the verse, first sentence. It says, "So humble yourselves before God." It takes humility. You see the difference? Who do you think came out closer to Jesus that day? Simon or the sinful woman? On the surface, it would appear, because we don't know Simon's response, it would appear the woman did. Because she was humble, she acknowledged her sin, and she was forgiven. God, she's going to take humility is a key ingredient there. When, you're, when your biggest need is exposed. See, guys, in Matthew 22, and we read the first part of this earlier, when we were talking about the Pharisees, and it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, guys, I have that in there just to reiterate that love was Simon's biggest issue. And honestly, it's our biggest issue too. Jesus says that that needs to be our biggest concern. But I want to ask you something. I'm not one that's big on litmus tests or, you know, uh, standards for judging other people. But I am big on, I believe the Bible gives us 
some ways of looking at, at ourselves as well as other people. I mean, he says you judge a tree by its fruit. You can look at a man's actions and tell where his heart's really at. Because I want to I ask you something here. And this is kind of a litmus test for you to give yourself on where you are with Jesus right now. How close are you to Jesus? Are you more like a sinful woman? Or are you more like Simon? Are you looking for Jesus to help meet your needs because you're aware of your sinfulness? Or are you more like Simon? You're close to Jesus, but he's just exposing and you've got to decide what you're going to do with it. And the, the litmus test that I like, I, I, I'm going to throw this out here. This is, this is me speaking. Is what need is Jesus exposing to you right now? I mean, what if, if you consider yourself a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, what is in front of you right now that he's saying, you need to give some attention to this? You see, because that's what happens when you get close to Jesus. He shows you where you are at. And I've told you for years and years and years and years about me. And we talked, my wife and I talked at the marriage retreat. And we talked about our marriage and our struggles. And for years and years and years, I go, God, I, I, was, I was drawing close to God. God changed Susan. And one day I realized he was saying, no, 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 you got it wrong. I want you to change, Gary. And so, guys, I ask you, what is God trying to get you to change right now? What does is, what is Jesus look at you and say, I want you to do this. I want you to forgive. Your biggest need is to forgive people. And once you start learning to forgive people, you're going to be closer to me. For me personally, one is smacking me right between the eyes is worry. Anybody familiar with that word? I think I've told you this before. Not only does our church, you know, we have a, we have a theme for the, for, the, for the Great Alton Church each year. We come up with a new one and tries to help us give us focus. I have a personal theme for my life each year. I come up with one. And I've had the same one for the last two years. You know why? Because I didn't get it last year. I didn't, I, I didn't get it, enough of it last year. And it is very simply, more faith, less fear. And you know, how, how does that show up that I need more faith and less fear? I worry. I worry. I'm 52 years old. Uh, the business that, is, that God has provided for me to, to provide for my family for the last 25 years has been auto glass, and I can't do it anymore. I can't do it physically in the summers. I can't do it. And so he's led us into, through prayer and a series of things that I don't have time to get into, we, we own car washes right now. And there's a uh, little thing that, and it, it, I believe this is where God's, God led us there. We prayed about it, we acted about it, and uh, first car wash went great, you know, we borrowed 100% of the money, borrowed the down payment from Susan's dad, and it went great, you know, and it's doing better this year it might do a full 50 percent more than it did the first year we bought it it's like woohoo show me the money yeah you know the second we bought two years ago and it was a total rehab project but it was making a little bit of money from day one and it's doing much better everything's going great and then we bought a third car wash let's just say it's not going as easy as the other two 
And you see, there's this little thing that, you know, this saw going great, and what I've kind of left out and kind of alluded to is now for these three car washes, which I believe God has opened the door for us to for several reasons. There's over a million dollars of debt on these things. That'll give you a little bit of worry, won't it? I, I, it's going fine. We haven't missed any payments. We're not... Don't get me wrong, okay? I really have nothing to worry about. But I want to worry. And I can go on and on and on and on about this. That's what's staring me in the face right now, guys. I'm asking you, what's staring you in the face right now? What do you have? When you draw close to Jesus, He's saying, would you give attention to this? Would you give attention to how you treat other people, specifically your spouse? Would you give attention to that anger issue that you have when things don't go your way? I know you don't blow up at other people, but when you're by yourself in your car, those are some really colorful adjectives you use. I know you don't say them out loud, but I hear them. You know, what is it, guys? Is it worry? Like me? What is it? that's staring you right between the eyes. And when you draw close to Jesus, He's saying, give attention to this. You see, guys, the last thing we want to learn from Simon is I choose how, I'm, how, I, how I will respond to Jesus. We have no record of Simon's response to Jesus. We, we don't know what he did. We don't know if he ever became a follower of Jesus. We don't know if he was one of them there at the, uh, at the, you know, at the trial when Jesus was being crucified going, yeah, we don't want to kill him. We're we tired of him. We don't know. We don't know if maybe he was there and then later on he decided, look, we were just wrong. And I think that what he told me was right and I just need to learn to love. We don't know what his response is. We have no record of it. But can I tell you, his response is irrelevant to us. Because what's relevant to us is how we respond. How we respond to Jesus. And guys, I want to ask you right now, how are you responding to Jesus? When Jesus exposes you, how do you respond? See, I think I know for a number of years when Jesus exposed me, you know what I did? I backed away from him. I focused on things that didn't draw attention to that. I did things that made me look good. And I was miserable. And so guys, as we close out today, and we've looked at Simon, I just want to leave you with, what are you doing? Are you initiating with Jesus? Is he exposing you? And how are you responding to that? Guys, we have a card there, a prayer card that we have in our our bulletin there that you can fill out if you like. It's a wonderful opportunity to include others into that. And honestly, it's a wonderful opportunity to include the power of God. I can tell you when I started filling one of those out on a regular basis and didn't, didn't put anything even very specific, but people were praying and my life changed. God got my attention. God answered that prayer. And guys, I encourage you, it's one way to draw God into your life is by letting other people pray for you on that card. Let's go into Father in prayer, shall we?
Father, it is amazing to look at a story like Simon and to know that you will deal with each of us in this room individually the way you dealt with Simon. Father, when I read that story, Jesus is very plain with Simon, but I don't see him being harsh. I don't see him being mean. I see Jesus' words very true that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He makes it plain. Father, it's amazing because I know you've dealt with me that way. Father, as I've trusted you, as I've drawn close to you, you prove yourself faithful. You expose me. You show me. I guess you expose me to me because you already know what's there. See, you put a mirror in front of me, Father, and now I know what to work on. Now I know what to give attention to. Father, I want the folks that gather here on Sunday mornings and are part of what we call the Greater Alton Church to be true followers of your Son. To be people who love you individually. Father, who have individual relationship with you. Not just a collective relationship with the church. Father, I want, as an elder of this church, I want us to be individuals who have relationship with you. And Father, I just want to pray that you show us each individually right now, through this next week, where we are. Father, there's people in this room that that I'm sure, when I ask that question, what are you dealing with right now? What is Jesus, what need is he trying to expose in you and what are you doing about it? They don't have anything on the list. Father, I ask you to give them the courage to ask. Give them the, the, the courage to admit. Yeah, I don't have anything on that list. And Father, the courage to just ask, Jesus, show me something. Get me moving in that right direction. And Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.